Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Kia ora and welcome to episode 4 of From Zero. I'm Russell Brown. In this episode, we'll look at where New Zealand is at now with a drug that's rarely out of the headlines, methamphetamine, or P. Are we seeing a new epidemic of use? If so, why? And is the current situation so acute that it's driving a real change in the approach of the police and other agencies? Marino Sherwin leads a wiata in the hall at Higher Ground, a residential alcohol and drug treatment centre in Te Atatū, Auckland. It's a big day for this place, the official opening of new facilities, including a women's dormitory that brings it up to 52 beds. Many of the people in the hall are clients. Some are in treatment. Others, like Mitch, are graduates. Mitch is a giant of a man. My hand disappears into his when we shake. He's popular here and clearly happy about rescuing his life. Mitch started using alcohol and drugs when he was 13. First, it was drinking and smoking dope, especially after his parents separated. Later, speed, ecstasy, magic mushrooms, LSD. But it was methamphetamine that finally brought down this big man. $1,500 a day. Um, I was using upwards of three, three grams a day, um, every day, for multiple days. I was trying to hold down a job. Um, I was trying to hold down being a father. Uh, have my children every second weekend. Um, life just got unmanageable. And, and one thing leads to another and, and, and you don't deal with it, so you run and hide from it. So in, in, in the end, it just yeah, the, the, the chaos just gets too much. Somewhere on the line, you're either going to end it or you're going to find what you're looking for, a way up. Was there something about meth that, that was worse and more pernicious than any of the other things yep. you did? Definitely, 100%. I, I always felt when I used other drugs that I could, I could always say no. With meth use, when it started, it was... It, it, you think you're in control. When you finally realise you're not in control, it's too late. It has you. Um, I now know where the sayings from the old days of chasing the dragon and all that with heroin come from, because you're continuously chasing the high you got the first time, and you never get it again. But you continuously chase it. Um, and, and like I said, it's just too late by the time you find out you're in deep. And, and in, when it has you... You can say no to it for maybe a day, but the second day you have you have to have it, and your whole thought process is around using. So no matter how important it is for you to be somewhere, your thought process will be telling you to go and use, and that'll that'll win every day. The official statistic is that a little over one percent of New Zealanders use methamphetamine, and a smaller fraction of those are addicts. Others believe that number, for whatever reason, understates the problem. 
What can be said is that meth accounts for nearly three quarters of admissions to the 18-week course of treatment at Higher Ground. There's always a waiting list. Meth says Higher Ground Director Johnny Dow has brought to a head years of rehab capacity not keeping pace with Auckland's population growth. This is a big place with a lot of moving parts. So the, this, the kitchen here, all the residents do all the cooking of all the food. They um, do, all, do all the cleaning and everything like that. It's a very, as you can see up there, it's a very busy menu. Like they're cooking three meals a day, um, probably for about 50 to 80 people each time. And um, so you've got gluten-free meals, you've got vegetarian meals, you've got meat meals. So a lot of them have never cooked before. And right. it's really important that they learn how to cook. So we've got a kitchen manager that teaches people how to, how to cook in here. And everyone takes turns in the kitchen um, coming through. So we're actually and, and, running and there a are, there are, Yeah, there are rosters up there. So yeah. structure is important. Structure, structure is really important. To put a person through treatment here is about $40,000. And that's for, uh, could be even a little more than that at times. And that's for 18-week treatment. So... Um, I don't have to go and have a look at our food bills to, to let you know on that. But I guess the the, um, the key point is, if you had more budget, you could treat more people. We had more budget. We had more money for beds. Um, you know, because we sell beds where people can stay for 18 weeks. If we had more of that, we would be able to treat more people. And Auckland needs more of that because, um, as the population's grown, there's been not a great more growth in treatment beds. Uh, from the DHBs and the, and the ministry. Is the demand growing for other reasons as well? I mean, the, the, everyone's talking about the methamphetamine surge. Well, methamphetamine is, is the drug of choice. So like 70% of the, of the clients that would come into higher ground are methamphetamine addicted. But having said that, they're all poly, most are poly addicted, and that they, if they weren't using methamphetamine, they'd be using cannabis or alcohol or another substance. Um, so they all, you know, it's just that methamphetamine seems to be the drug that people like the most. The other thing that we're finding a lot of is that people are using methamphetamine in the date rape of GBL, um, which is which one bring takes them up, one takes them down, and it's making them incredibly messy and very hard to detox and very unwell. So we're getting a lot more of the younger people seem to be using those two drugs together. This is the administration wing, um, and this is where the pre-admission team is, and the um, continuing care team, and the finance manager and myself all, all down here. Come on, come on to this room. This is... Marie, she's our community. Hi. She's our community manager, and Marie, um, as you'll see by the board there, um, that's all the people that are, are coming on the waiting list. So she's she's got this job of trying to manoeuvre all those people across onto this side, um, so that they can get back into. So you're sort of running it like a hotel. You have to overbook so because they'll. Um, disappear and do all sorts of things. It's quite a difficult job and she has to figure out when they're ready to get into treatment and the, so that they're, that they're ready enough that they'll stay in treatment. So it's not just take a number? No, it's not just take a number. She, do, she does a lot of work with residents before they get into treatment. They come in for groups here. They um, have to come in for lunch to see what the facility's like. They have individual assessments. They have... Um, what other things do they have? They have... Yes, yeah, so... 
we sort of check in with the, we check in with them on a weekly basis when they come in just to see how they're going out there, organise different referrals if they need a detox or pre-treatment support accommodation. A lot of people are you know homeless or have run out of options, so it's about just supporting them to actually be abstinent before they come in because they need to sort of be grounded and prepared for the treatment. So it sounds like you actually have to establish a, a reasonable sort of a relationship with them before Definitely. you even decide whether they they can come in. Definitely. So we, you know, start with that initial intake interview, which you know we invite their Fano or significant others to attend as well, so we can get them on board as well to support their um, support the client while they're waiting to come in, um, and you know, building that relationship from that point. Yeah, supporting them all the way through. Yeah. How many people are there on your waiting list at the moment? Well, it's pretty long at the moment. It's about four months long. I'd say we'd have about 80, 80 people on it at the moment. Plus we have some in custody as well, which takes it even higher. Yeah. Are they mostly mm. West Auckland people? No, all over, all over. Mm. Even from the nice parts of town? That's right. <laughs> and out of town. <laughs> out of town too, because we've got a national contract for methamphetamine, so we get a lot from out of town. But yeah, all walks of life we see every day. And yeah. I, ma- I imagine that must be a matter of urgency for a lot of those people oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, you know, just being away from my desk for a couple of hours this morning, I come back and there's like 15 messages, lots of emails. You know, the families are pretty desperate out there. Some of Higher Ground's clients come from the Manning Street facility in Hamilton, which prepares them for the longer course of treatment. Director Steve King says about half his clients have meth as their primary issue, but many have problems with alcohol too. Meth is a stimulant drug, so um, uh, coming off meth and removing it takes them to quiet. They need lots of quiet and low level and just bringing them back into a quieter lifestyle beyond the detox process. And it takes them a while to sort of get themselves calm on a daily basis. Um, it's a particularly nasty drug, uh, methamphetamine, and the more severe end users, it's it's often done, you know, frontal cortex damage to the nerve endings. Like I say, I'm not a doctor, but you know, so their ability to communicate is is often a wee bit damaged. Um, you know, the to and fro of conversation, and that's a big part of the work that we do. That they're cohabitating with other people in recovery, so getting those those to and fro conversations going. There's no TV set during the day or anything like that. We want people talking to each other because that's what's going to be happening when they get to you know the likes of high ground. So what has happened here? What is it about meth? Methamphetamine is a chemical. It's not innately evil any more than water or salt are, and it's not exactly new. It was first synthesised in 1893 by a Japanese chemist, six years after its parent chemical, amphetamine. Both are central nervous system stimulants, but meth's effect on the brain is more potent and more toxic. In sufficient quantity, it does do brain damage. There was no use for either until 1934 when Smith-Klein branded amphetamine as benzodrine, which was administered in inhalers to treat asthma and congestion. The Second World War changed everything. It was fought on speed. Allied troops on amphetamine, the Nazis on meth. And when the war ended, both drugs entered society. Meth was sold in tablets as Obertrol for weight loss. Governments began to crack down on amphetamines in the early 1970s. 
Meth is barely used in a therapeutic setting now. In the US, only one methamphetamine product, Dizoxin, is approved for use in treating ADHD and sometimes weight loss. None are in New Zealand. Like nicotine and playing pokey machines, amphetamines stimulate the production of the brain's reward chemical, dopamine. That's the key to their addictive properties. They produce euphoria, wakefulness and a feeling of energy. And if used long enough and in sufficient quantities, psychosis. But there's one more thing. The means of consuming meth changed over time. As a broadly legal drug, it was swallowed in pills. As an illicit drug, it was insufflated, snorted up the nose. It wasn't until the late 1990s, in New Zealand anyway, that it became something else. A glass pipe drug. Pee. Meth crystals are heated in the pipe and the vapour is inhaled. This has two effects. The wakefulness and stimulation last as long as eight hours. But smoking also produces an intensely pleasurable hit that lasts only a minute or two. The urge, the priority, is to have another hit, and another. And each one loads more meth into the body. Other factors combine to make a kind of perfect storm for addiction. Meth is attractive to sell in the sense that desperate people make good customers. And the money's good. New Zealand retail prices for meth are high by international standards, yet it's cheap to produce and import. Not everyone who uses has a dependence problem. There are plenty of weekend warriors. But as a friend of mine, a psychiatric nurse, told me, if there is any chink in your armour, meth will find it. He subsequently became an addict himself. This is a daily reality for Liz and Dennis Makaleo. They live in Cannons Creek, Porirua. It's the kind of place where the second wave of meth use is showing up. Fifteen years ago, P cut a swathe through Auckland's smart set. Now the problem is in the regions and in poor suburbs like this one. Dennis. Personally, I've been to nine of my friends' funerals. They exploded hearts. So maybe we can educate people actually what it does. If, if you're talking about tens of thousands of people that are on it, then you're talking about, um, you know, triple that number that it affects that are people that have to watch it. Everything is getting so bad in methamphetamine, people are even trying to, um, you know, uh, crystallise their spit, uh, crystallise their neuron, mm. you know? It's like it's getting, it's getting, it's getting bad. From some angles, Dennis might seem a strange sort of social champion. He has been a mongrel mob member for 40 years. Every square centimetre of his face is inked. He looks like a scary dude. But he and his wife Liz, who both have social work qualifications, have dedicated themselves to providing the kind of relief they say the system is not delivering to Cannons Creek. A lot of it's things they can do with no money, starting a Facebook group, printing signs. And I'll be making handmade ones and laminating them at work, really small amounts, but um, families are taking them and putting them in the front windows of their cars, um, they're putting them in the front doors of their homes, so when they are coming off or withdrawing, they don't need to say to their circles, oh, I don't want to be part of you, I don't smoke anymore, it's more about this is my children's home. So on the front of our pictures it says, kids zone. And that's all that needs to be said. This is my child's zone, so please don't bring it here. And that's worked really well. The Facebook page, named New Zealand P. Pull, has caught on even more quickly. It has more than 1,200 members. The page um, kind of came about um, 
when a, a young girl did come to my attention and um, I felt like I was just banging heads against brick walls trying to get her help. So um, I had been given advice, I'd rung everyone I, I knew to try and figure out what do I do because she kind of was like really out there. I'd never seen someone on P like this before. Um, and I'd rung the hospital who said ring this number, um, I think it was the health line at that time, rung them and then they were like ring the AOD line and I just wasn't getting um, the answers I thought I would get which was kind of like bring her in to a detox um, so um, just the whole journey with this young person and trying to figure out like is this it, is this all there was which was me trying to help her manage it herself um, over four or five days. So um, the P page kind of came up after thinking like this can't be all there is um, to helping people so kind of thought if we had a page um, and we could spread it right across New Zealand then maybe we could all connect and help each other. So I was thinking like maybe yeah other other people that are addicts or other people that have gone through rehab, other people that just local people in the community, other parents, um, if we could all just come together um, then maybe we could come up with our own answers or just total call each other. So that's kind of the whole idea of the page is just um, yeah for us to come together, share what we know, educate each other, um, learn how to manage this drug in our own homes when it comes to our family and withdrawal and just, um, yeah, share whatever we can, I suppose. You're listening to From Zero, a series about New Zealanders and drugs. I'm Russell Brown. Dennis says he has been told by a senior officer that the police want to work with the community on meth to the extent of not now prioritising cannabis enforcement. And at the beginning of October, NewsHub reported the story that we would not have heard even five years ago. Police have had a surprising response to a text they sent suspected meth users asking if they wanted help with their addiction. The text told them their number had been uncovered in a raid on drug dealers in Waitemata. It said, your number has communicated with this person and please be assured you will not be prosecuted. Instead, the text offered three options for help. A helpline alcohol and drug services, or contact a detective directly. Of the 140 texts sent, 20 people did actually go direct to police for help. This unprecedented action came in the wake of Operation Rosella, which saw five arrests and broke up a meth supply operation. It is, says the officer in charge, Detective Senior Sergeant Stan Brown, part of a strategy to reduce the demand for meth. Arrest by itself will not work, but we will arrest at the right time and the right person. Um, sort of so, um, part of our strategy is to um, the harm in society that this stuff does. Now, it was it's very um, identified to us um, our theories in relation to the the broad spectrum of people are still using meth. Um, from the top-end professional down to, um, call them tradies, for less of a better word, and, and everyone in between. Part of the team was, how can we reach out to these 140 people and offer the help um, to these people to try and stop them using methamphetamine? By design, the police do not know how many recipients of the message went confidentially to the other services mentioned. 
but it is remarkable that even 20 users trusted the police enough to contact them directly. The investigation team is continuing to talk to those who did. One person in particular just needed that push. He knew he had a problem, um, but because the police now know that he was a user, was that last push that he needed to actually to get the help and to stop using. It is, Stan Brown acknowledges, quite a change in approach. Things have changed. Um, uh, in my earlier CIB days, I, I was in the uh, drug squad in, in the in the 80s when the home bake heroin was around, and and we used to do the uh, what we called the crash and bash back then. Um, versus uh, what's happening now, you know, the, the the police are a social service. We are there to help the public. Uh, yes, we'll arrest the baddies and everything else, but at the end of the day, we we are there to to help the public. We're there to support the public, and we're also there to help them get the help they need to, to stop using this horrible shit. It's really a case by case. Like I say, we, we will, at the right circumstance, we will arrest people. It may be that we need them in front of the court to get the help they need, you know, sort of. So I don't think there's any black line. There's definitely a grey area there. But we need to work smarter with what we have. And we need to help people get off this horrible stuff because that will nothing but help them, which means will help their families, it'll help the community, um, less harm out there, and uh, some kids will now have lunches for school would be one example. He says the police will even make a judgment call over prosecuting small-time supply. Again, it's a case-by-case. Who are they selling to? Are they selling to kids? There's... It's not a blind eye thing, you know, but it's a, 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 if they're selling to students, then they need to be front of the court. Whereas if they're selling to um, a, an adult mate next door just to um, finance their own supply, well, maybe we need to get into him and get into that group and have that conversation about what can we do to him and his mates to stop them using. The Waitemata initiative has been widely applauded by drug treatment professionals. Higher Ground's Johnny Dow would like to see changes in the justice system go further. Definitely, because addiction is a, is a, is a, is a health issue, it's not a crime issue. There are people that sort of deal a lot of drugs and use a lot of drugs and they do need to have justice issues put on them. And we have people come in here that I know need to be legally sanctioned. But on the whole, a lot of people who are addicted get into crime because that's the only way they know how to survive. And once you can wipe out the addiction and get them back into society, you're saving so much money. Manning Street's Steve King agrees. I know that locking them up does not work. You cannot force people to recover from addiction unless they choose to buy into the process. Mitch, whose meth addiction led to arrest in prison, sought treatment before serving his prison sentence. He didn't want to be an addict in jail. Such a bad place to, to be left. Um, the negativity around um, inside a jail and, and, and idle hands are no good in jail. You get a lot of time to sit and do nothing. Unfortunately, in jails, there is, there is a, a drug culture. And for a drug addict, um, there's a saying in, in, in recovery, if you sit in a barber's chair long enough, you'll get a haircut. And if you sit around drugs long enough, you'll use them. I can tell you right now I keep myself away from drugs 24 hours a day, 7 days a week because as an addict I, I can't trust myself to be around them and not use them. So to be locked in, a, in an environment in a prison unit or a prison cell, as you may even get a cellmate that uses, 
you know, you're in, you're in a no-win situation straight away. If it was up to you, would you change the law around uh, drug possession and use? Yeah, excellent question. I've, I, I got a lot of time to think about this while I was in jail. And um, the penalties now for possession of methamphetamine are way too high. They need to be looked at like the possession of cannabis because we don't have jails big enough to hold the people that are going to be in court on possession of methamphetamine charges. There is just so many people now using meth, getting caught for possession of, and straight away they're looking at jail sentences. And we don't have the room for it. And we don't want our jails to become a business like America. Because at the end of the day, that's not helping anybody. For me, everybody should be given the chance of rehabilitation. It's up to you what you do with it then. If you don't want it, that's your choice. But I know for a fact there are many, many people out there that would love a shot. What Mitch is talking about is essentially the decriminalisation model that has helped Portugal conquer its once disastrous heroin problem. Possession of all drugs is not a criminal offence there, but that doesn't mean the state won't take a strong, even paternal interest in you being treated if you're an addict. Here, the problem is meth. But could a similar approach work? We're unlikely to find out. In his speech at the Higher Ground opening, Prime Minister John Key made it clear that the government will not countenance any loosening of drug laws, because that would send the wrong message to young people. Some new money did recently go into treatment. Under the government's multi-agency Methamphetamine Action Plan, a portion of $15 million seized via the Proceeds of Crime Act will go to the health sector. The action plan itself funds eight of Higher Ground's beds. Yet every single treatment professional I've spoken to this year says that's not enough. There are also ways in which public agencies may be working against each other. You've probably heard news this year about so-called methamphetamine contamination of houses. As we've been reporting, tiny traces of the drug have been used to evict tenants. The Ministry had repeatedly told Housing New Zealand that its meth testing guidelines were only suitable for former meth labs where the drug is cooked. They weren't designed to determine the safety of homes where the drug had been smoked. Housing New Zealand takes this issue very, very seriously. Family Support Service Daryl Evans says many Mangari families have been falsely accused of using meth by Housing New Zealand. He says while tenancies change frequently, traces of meth stay behind. That means the current tenant can be blamed for using meth when in actual fact they may never have done drugs in their entire life, but the previous tenant has. In general, the scare is based on bad science. If meth has only been consumed in the house, any residues are very unlikely to be a health risk. So that was the drain? That's one of the drones, yes. RNZ's new podcast series, The Science Of, has an episode devoted to just this issue. And what does that tell you, anything? Well, I'm just looking for any corrosive activity because it's, certainly when you're manufacturing this stuff, um, you know, drains get quite corrosive, so that's what we're looking for. You can find it at radionz.co.nz forward slash series or on iTunes and Spotify. Housing New Zealand, acting on a controversial understanding of Ministry of Health guidelines for cleaning up meth labs, has terminated hundreds of tenancies, even where it can't prove the current tenants actually caused the residues. This is expensive, and the tens of millions spent on meth testing and remediation might have come in handy for treatment. And moreover, making people homeless is basically the opposite of what treatment providers aim to do.
Justice Emma Aitken, one of two judges who are part of a five-year pilot with the Alcohol and Other Drugs Court, wasn't willing to criticise Housing New Zealand directly, but... Well, I don't want to comment. It's difficult for a judge and probably inappropriate for me as a judge to comment on uh, Housing New Zealand, uh, on their policies. Uh, I think housing generally is a huge issue for Auckland. It's an issue for lots of people in our court. Uh, but I think, again, uh, we need an openness from all agencies uh, to look carefully at these issues, to understand the science uh, as well around detection. Uh, and I think... Uh, again, if the more agencies like Housing New Zealand we can bring round the table as we work with individuals, the, the better the outcomes for everyone, really. Because one thing we do know about, about addiction is that it, it, it's resolved with the help of stability and structure in people's lives. Absolutely. So what we do in the drug court, we build, we help them build those lives. So when they are sentenced, so they graduate from the court, they're sentenced, they're on supervision, you know, at that point they are in work, so often they've gone off benefits and they're now working and paying tax or they're studying towards other goals. Uh, they've got stable accommodation. They've rebuilt um, their relationships with family, with whānau. I mean, that's huge. These people have burnt all their bridges. You know, it takes months sometimes for family to nervously show their heads at the court because they can't quite believe that their family member is, again, sometimes on the journey. Uh, so I think what they, that, that is a huge part of their stability. So stable work stable accommodation, good pro-social support, uh, engagement with 12-step and other recovery uh, opportunities, all part of the package. Um, it's really, I mean, that's not rocket science. That's about, you know, that's about the basic. People need food, they need shelter, they need warmth, they need good health, they need love. Something to do, someone to love, something to look forward to. So really what we're doing in the court is we're, we're building on those sorts of um, I guess on those principles, and I don't think anyone would disagree that that's what it takes. There has been no shortage of headlines about methamphetamine in 2016. Some of them simply add to the stigma. But there's a growing sense that we just don't know what the scale of the problem is. Steve King. Look, let me give you an example, and that's this late-night king-hitting and, and fights in the street where you see people pulling their shirt off and what have you. Now, that's, that's often, in my view, represented as an alcohol issue. Actually, I think if, if the true facts were known, it's a combination of alcohol and meth. That's what this is about. But routinely, it's my understanding, the police don't test for drugs. I've asked them whether they do. They've got to have good cause to test for drugs. But if they did, I think a whole lot of that late night type stuff, it would become evident. In fact, some of my clients have let slip. You've got to remember this methamphetamine is a class A drug. They're not going to volunteer that information. They're much preferred to be intoxicated on alcohol, but they're not going to tell you about the meth. Until the picture becomes clearer, people like the Makaleos in Porirua will continue to help their own communities. And they did another thing. They made a song. It's called simply the Meth Song. My name is Meth. My shadow is crystal. I destroy homes, tear families apart. Take your children, and that's just the start. I'm more costly than diamonds, more precious than gold. The sour I bring is a sight to behold. If you need me, remember, I'm easily found. I live all around you and school. As I've noted in this episode, one reason methamphetamine is relatively popular in New Zealand is that it's attractive to sell. 
Prices are high here and the margins for the unscrupulous vendors are high too. We'll look at those economics more closely, with the help of the Prime Minister, in the next episode of From Zero, The Business of Drugs. Catch you then. My name is Crystal Math. When the snowflakes turns to an avalanche, who's gonna take the fall? Who's gonna take the fall? I'm sick of being fried. From Zero is a seven-part podcast series for RNZ. You can subscribe or listen to every episode of From Zero on iTunes or at radionz.co.nz forward slash series. Don't forget to rate us. We're also on Spotify. This episode was produced by Russell Brown and engineered by Jeremy Veal and Rangi Powick. The executive producers were Justin Gregory and Tim Watkin. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.